Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. All right, we're glad you guys are here. We are uh, on a session tonight uh, talking about the New Jerusalem. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into the Word. Lord, we thank you so much for the Word of God and the, the power that rests on it to transform our thinking, to uh, give us perspective, to teach us about the future. There's so much in your Word that is valuable for a hundred reasons. And we pray tonight that your Spirit would rest on this teaching, that you would allow the Spirit of wisdom and revelation to operate as we read the Word, study and talk about it, that you would illuminate the Scriptures, that you would provoke divine ideas, and that you would help us to understand these things better. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, the book of Revelation, this session is entitled Dynamic Overlap with New Jerusalem. What we're going to be talking about uh, in this session is the uh, the really uh, awesome and perhaps unexpected overlap reality there is between the city of Jerusalem on the earth and the new Jerusalem, which is going to descend out of uh, the heavens to the earth during the millennial kingdom. And so uh, we're going to be looking at uh, just a number of verses that talk about that and kind of helping us get our head wrapped around that. The reason I think this is important is because this is a really surprising and shocking, unimaginable concept if it's one that's brand new to you. Now, if you've thought about it a little bit, this might not be so shocking. But if you think back to the very first time you heard the idea of heaven having dynamic interaction and overlap with the city of the New Jerusalem for the thousand-year reign of Christ, that is a really odd, new, cool idea. And it's one that has significant impact in the way that the Millennial Kingdom will be run. And so uh, we're going to be looking at this, but I, I just I want to even throw out the, the, the concept that this idea, as we're going to be looking at it today, it redefines a number of foundational things that we consider to be reality. I mean, things that we are so normal, used to, so accustomed to, that we call normal. There are some things that will be very, very different as a result of this in the age to come. And it will cause a normal Tuesday to look very different for those that are impacted by it. And so I just, I think about that and the way that it's going to impact life on planet Earth. Okay. Starting point, letter A here, if you're in the notes, uh, the eternal existence of the earthly city of Jerusalem. Now, it is, it is foundational, inarguable Jewish theology that Jerusalem doesn't ever go anywhere. That Jerusalem is part of God's purpose forever. The city of Jerusalem. So the idea that Jerusalem has eternal purpose eternal uh, realities, e eternal things that will occur in it, eternal destiny. The idea that the city of Jerusalem, the, the one over in Israel, that that city has forever purpose in God's heart. That is a, an established, normal Jewish thought process. And so part of the thing that uh, gets us is we come into the kingdom as Gentiles and we have a, a very... Uh, limited perspective, a, a very uh, narrow perspective, and a lot of times it really comes from our lack of reading the Bible. 
it's really not so much a Gentile or Jewish thing so much as it is a we weren't instructed in the word and we didn't read the Bible and so it's all our fault. Uh, but that is a, a Gentile, a typical Gentile problem uh, that, that we uh, may well have inherited ourselves. So thinking about the, process, or the, uh, the perspective that the city of Jerusalem is going to exist forever uh, creates some interesting conflicts when we start to study the book of Revelation specifically related to the new Jerusalem, because that's what heaven is called, when the new Jerusalem descends. Uh, because if, if, you're, if you're not thinking that the city of Jerusalem has any long-term plans, then when the new Jerusalem descends, you just go, oh, okay, well, it got rid of the old one, and there we go. But it doesn't get rid of the old one. And so that's the point I want to make here in part B is geographically two different cities. Geographic locations of two different cities. The first one is the parameters of the city of Jerusalem in, in Israel, the one that we know. And it's going to be located just where it's located. But then you've got this other Jerusalem that's defined as the new Jerusalem that's coming out of the heavens. Right now, it has a geographical pinpoint. It just happens to be somewhere very far out in outer space somewhere. We don't know where. There is no uh, uh, scripture that I know of that would give any uh, defining parameters of where it is exactly out there right now. But it's going to come from out there, and it's going to descend to the earth eventually, and, uh, and to near the earth uh, for the thousand years. This is actually going to create a combined reality with some dynamic overlaps, and that's the, that's the direction that we're going today. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I did give you in part two the description of Jerusalem on the earth during the millennium. I didn't give you a lot of details. I just gave you a few. Uh, this is a far more developed subject. It's just not the direction we were going tonight, so I didn't spend a lot of time and attention on it. But if you wanted to go look in Ezekiel 45, Ezekiel 48, uh, Ezekiel 47, there are some significant details laid out in those chapters of Ezekiel that describe the city of Jerusalem during the millennial period with intricate detail. I mean, exactly how long this is and what's next to it and what goes on there. I, I mean, a ton of details. I'm just going to suffice to give a couple of thoughts. One, the amount of details, I, I'm just going to give a, uh, a Bible guess. So if you prove me wrong on this, uh, that's okay. You can help correct me. I'm just going to guess there's more detail given in the scripture in Ezekiel about the city of Jerusalem than there is of any city anywhere in the Bible. I'm just going to go ahead and guess that because of the amount of details. In Ezekiel, there are so many, there have to be a hundred details given about the city of Jerusalem in the millennium. That's just so specific. I don't think there's that much detail about any city in the Bible. It's just a ton. Okay, the part that I want to point out is Ezekiel is shown the details of a city that wouldn't exist in the way that Ezekiel is seeing it. It's You may as well call it a rebuild. You may as well call it a new city because it's not the city of Jerusalem as it was in times past or even as it is today. The city is going to be laid out very differently. Ezekiel is shown, if you will, very detailed information about a future city thousands of years before that city will exist. That is a really interesting thing. That's just a 
a really uh, specific uh, amount of information and detailed information about a city that didn't exist and wouldn't for a long time. Here's my point. It's important to God's heart. This city, the way that it's going to be laid out on the earth over in Israel has specific purpose and is important to God. Next, I gave you the size of the city. It's approximately seven miles by seven miles, which is actually, that's a really big city, really. I mean, that, that's, when you look at any uh, specific city, like if you look at the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there's 160 cities within Dallas-Fort Worth. This city is going to be seven miles by seven miles, approximately, and it's one city. And there's a lot of details that lay it out. There's farmland and land allocated to the Levites, and there's all different things going on there. But we're given some of the details. It's seven miles by seven miles. That's 2,500 cubits, just if you needed to do the math there. And uh, another detail that I just think is so important as we uh, talk about what the direction we're going tonight, after the Great Tribulation, the city of Jerusalem is in shambles. It is in a bad way. I mean, it's destroyed from war. It's destroyed from all the devastations, from the Antichrist aggression. It's destroyed from earthquakes and other natural disasters or not-so-natural disasters that the Lord has launched during the Great Tribulation period. The city of Jerusalem is in a very bad state when Jesus takes over. And so it's interesting that one of the first things on the agenda is to kind of almost do a clean slate and rebuild the city of Jerusalem with great intentionality. And so that's what's going on in Ezekiel uh, chapter, again, 45, 48, a couple others in there as well. Okay, Uh, Isaiah 62 tells us that the end result of Jerusalem after the rebuild is the following. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Giant piles of rubble with dead people everywhere and, you know, destroyed stuff and an earthquake that split the city into three. That is not a praise of the earth. That is not the caliber of, man, we love that city, it's awesome. That is the caliber of a city that needs a giant facelift. And that is what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. Is he is going to, uh, he is going to minister to Jerusalem with the most uh, incredible Renault project that has ever been done in a city, and he's going to be the one in charge. Okay, well, now pretend the city is a few steps down the road and it's established the way that it's supposed to be established. And I don't know how long that period's going to pl- uh, process is going to take. It won't happen overnight. That's going to be months or years probably, actually, to get the new, get the city of Jerusalem on planet Earth to a point where it could be said it's the praise of the earth and it not be a giant fib. Okay, it's going to be a lot of work. So I'm just going to say some years into the millennium. I'm just going to say ten because it's an easy number to say, not because that's the right number. But say ten years into the millennium. There are now a bunch of purposes that the Lord has for the city of Jerusalem that the Word of God speaks about. That the city of Jerusalem on planet Earth is going to be operating in. So I want to look now at a bunch of these purposes. Letter A, Jesus rules from the city of Jerusalem. Rejoice, Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend to sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. It's talking about Jesus ruling the earth from that city of Jerusalem. And again, it won't be in shambles. 
uh, when he's in, in full-on rain mode. In fact, I think he's going to be way more cons- uh, concerned with full-on reno mode than he is rain mode for the first little bit while he's getting kind of things set. You never, If you've ever moved from one location to the next, there's a lot of things you care about after you get your house in order. There's a lot of things you care about after you've gotten your bed rebuilt and your your dresser filled with your clothes. And so Jesus is going to come in and do a great work in Jerusalem, and then he's going to rule from there. Uh, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. That's just the language of the Lord's desire for Jerusalem to be home base for him to rule from forever. So part of the purpose, I mean, kind of the entire purpose, or or certainly the starting point of the purposes of God for Jerusalem in the age to come is Jesus ruling from there. Also, Jerusalem becoming the praise of the earth. I gave you these verses here. There's a bunch of them if you wanted to go do a little bit of Bible study on your own. Give you a bunch of verses in part B. Uh, But uh, Psalm 48 says, Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zephon, is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. The joy of the whole earth. A city will become the joy of the earth. Man, I just think about how much I get to be the joy of my family when I bring home dominoes. Man, I am the joy of my whole family. Everybody just looks at me and praises me. Daddy brought dominoes. But it's a much larger statement to get the whole earth to be excited about a city. And it will. The whole earth will praise Jerusalem. will praise the Lord for Jerusalem. Gave you another verse there in Zechariah. But again, there's a ton of them right above. So go do that work on your own. So a second purpose of the city of Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom is it's going to be the praise of the earth. It's going to be the epicenter of humanity. It's going to be the place where Jesus rules. Also, our work assignments, those with resurrected bodies in the age to come, our work assignments will be dynamically related to Jerusalem because we're going to have work assignments on the earth. Those with resurrected bodies, we're going to have work to do. And that work to do with a resurrected body is going to be done on the earth. But if Jerusalem is the headquarters of Jesus' government, and all of us are operating on Jesus' behalf, you better believe our work assignments are related to the city of Jerusalem. We're going to be in and out of Jerusalem as a, a normal part of our work reality. I mean, we'll, we'll be taking work trips. Uh, maybe our work trips will be from Jerusalem out. Maybe our work trips are going to be from wherever we are to Jerusalem. There's going to be probably a little bit of both. There's going to be dynamic work assignments related to that. The nations will come to Jerusalem to worship. I just, this is such a, a wild, awesome, beautiful part of the next age. We are going to have large worship gatherings in Jerusalem. I don't think it will actually be 100% of the human population. The way that the scripture reads gives a lot of room for the nations having, uh, you know, delegations that go. But I am confident that at some point in time, everyone will have visited. Uh, Everyone will have been there probably multiple times. But there's going to be some significant worship gatherings in Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, 16 through 17 says, The survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. 
any of these peoples of the earth that do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. The way that reads makes it sound like for a year until the next Feast of Tabernacles. That the punishment for not having a delegation from your nation to go up to the main worship conference of the year in Jerusalem is congratulations country. You don't get rain for 365 days. That is really, really intense. But just thinking about the way that this, this reads that during the millennial reign, one of the significant purposes of the city of Jerusalem is to be a worship center, to be the house of prayer for the earth, if you will. Not just worship. The nations will come to Jerusalem to be taught. I really love the idea of Jesus, the teacher. I can't wait for him to start doing conferences again. Jesus is a teacher. We have yet to hear one trillionth of what the man has to say. We have never heard most of what he thinks. Most of what he knows is right, good, and true. And the nations are going to come to Jerusalem in order to hear Jesus teach on a, large, a long uh, list of subjects. Look at it here. The survivors of the, all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the... Wait, wait, no, that's the wrong one. Uh, skipping down to the next verse, part E. This is Isaiah 2. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jesus is going to be sitting on his throne in Jerusalem. He's going to be teaching things. He's going to be teaching everything. I can't wait to hear Jesus' take on technology. When Jesus starts to unfold technology, things we've only heard of once in a sci-fi movie. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I do that all the time. Yeah, I can teach you how to do that. Sure, no problem. Like, I actually invented that a long time ago. I'm glad you're finally interested. I've been thinking about this for, you know, millennium, you know. Not just that nations will come for teaching. Nations will come to settle international disputes. During the millennial kingdom, there's still going to be humans. Humans have problems. Humans with non-resurrected bodies and non-resurrected minds is really where I'm going. Non-resurrected spirit, non-resurrected mind. Humans disagree. And humans will be leading the nations during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And it says this, He will judge between the nations, and He will settle disputes for many peoples. That settle disputes, it's related to the judging the nations. It's not unrelated. It's not like Isaiah was talking about, Oh, now we're talking about national level. Oh, okay, no, now no, we're not talking about that. Now we're talking about, This guy stole my candy. I'm mad at him. I want my candy back. It's national disputes. It's of, a, it's of an international scope. No doubt the smaller things will be handled in lesser courts. The, he stole my candy. That's never going to make it to Jesus. That will be dealt with in lesser courts throughout the land. But there's going to be international disputes of whom Jesus is the only one with authority and the understanding to be able to resolve the issue. People are going to go, imagine two neighboring nations and they've got a, a, a trade dispute, a border dispute, a whatever policy dispute. They're going to take their case to Jerusalem, these two kings, and they're going to talk to Jesus about their issue. And Jesus is actually going to judge on, the, on behalf of the issue. And he'll make the assessment and then that'll be the done deal. 
I just want to hear about, I want to sit in on one of those. That is, I mean, that is going to go over way better than anything NATO's come up with. In fact, I think NATO has proven to be a giant failure in some ways. And so uh, I'm just looking at Jesus handling trade disputes and going, wow, that is going to be so cool. The, the wisdom and the, I mean, you know, Jesus is going to be pulling on not just what's gone on in the last five years. He's going to be pulling on to generational ancestral, you know, things that have gone on in those nations in order to be able to say, actually, the border should be here, not there. And here's why. I mean, all that stuff. It's just going to be incredible. Here's my point. The city of Jerusalem has major purpose in the heart of God during the millennium. Jesus' dynamic throne. Let's now start to talk about some of the overlap. It starts with the throne of God. Now, Jesus is going to be ruling from his throne. Okay? But it says here in Revelation 5, 6, I saw a lamb looking as though it had been slain standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures so right now in heaven Jesus is on that throne and he's got the living creatures surrounding him and the elders it's the throne of God it's the throne of the lamb it's the throne of Jesus so we know that the throne of Jesus is in heaven here's Revelation 21 2-4 I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem and I heard a voice from the throne the throne of God it's where Jesus is saying look God's dwelling place is now among the people, and with them he will dwell. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 22 verse 3 in Revelation says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So I just want us to see... We were just looking a minute ago at Revelation chapter 5, and we see Jesus is on the throne in heaven. But now we're looking at Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22, describing the activity of Jesus during the millennium. And Jesus is on the throne, and the throne is still in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, 2-4, and 22 verse 3, the throne of Jesus is still in heaven. However, it's also simultaneously on earth. Look what it says here. Revela uh, letter C. The throne of Jesus will also be on the earth. Gave you a bunch of verses. But here's just two that we'll read. Jeremiah 3.17. At that time, they will call uh, Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. As uh, Ezekiel 43 says, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for my soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. That's a key verse because that goes right back to the Revelation chapter 21 verse that we just read where God from his throne declared, now I will be with them forever. I will dwell with them. Okay? It's an overlap where God doesn't need to leave heaven for him to be able to be on earth, for the throne to be on earth. There is coming a time period where the throne in heaven and the throne on earth, it's the same throne. There is a dynamic overlap. There's a, a connection. So as if to say, if you're standing before Jesus on his throne on earth, you at the same time are standing before Jesus on his throne in heaven. A portal. Some version of a portal where you are in two places at once. It's one throne, one Jesus tushy sitting on the throne. He's sitting. And from that place, 
People will come and get counsel from heaven. People will come and get counsel from earth. He's on the one throne. But the throne is in two places at once. How does that work? Well, through the person of Jesus. The throne isn't magical. It's Jesus and his per- the purposes of God and the, the throne of the Lord. There's all this wrapped up reality. Now what I want to do in, in part five here is we go over it pretty quickly. I just want you to follow the pattern here. The first verse that you see, because each one of these, A, B, C, D, E, each one of these has two verses. Well, in some cases three. The first verse every time is referring to the Jerusalem on earth. And you can go check the context and read it. You know, these notes are for you to go do some homework and research on your own. The first verse is about Jerusalem on earth. The last verse, so if there's three verses, the last verse, if there's two verses, the last verse. The last verse is about Jerusalem in heaven or the heavenly Jerusalem, New Jerusalem. But just look at these overlap realities, the person of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Time is coming where actually the, the kingdom of God and even Jesus' presence will be on the earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of mystery wrapped up in that phrase. <coughs> it's helpful to kind of get a picture of the two realities happening simultaneously. Next verse though, Ephesians 1, 9 having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that at the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. He's going to gather together all things in Christ. All things, what all things? Both which are in heaven and which are on earth. The gathering point, the connection point, is Christ. The reason that these two realms overlap is because in the fullness of God's purpose, God has decided when the time comes, when the full dispensation of time comes, I am going to gather together all things in Christ. What things? All things in heaven and all things on earth I will gather in Christ. And so there, Christ is the center point. He is the reason that the dynamic overlap is occurring. Because the Father purposed that in Him, there will be this all things reality. Now, now that we've broken that down and we understand why, if there's a portal, it's because there's a man. It's Jesus. Jesus is the connection point. But now let's just see where each one of these, they've got an expression in heaven, an expression on earth. Actually, I'm going to say that reversed. There's an expression of these things on earth, because that's the first verse, and then there's an expression of these same exact things in heaven, which is the last verse. City gates. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night, so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations. That's talking about the city of Jerusalem on earth. But then, Revelation 21, on no day will its gates ever be shut. There will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. That's the same gates, but it's in heaven. Now let's look at the Garden of Eden. Again, it's a bit of a review. In fact, I'm going to skip that one because we've spent so much time on it. Tree of life. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. This is describing the river of life on earth. Go check the context. But in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, him who overcomes, I'll give to the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So now we've got the tree of life on earth, but it's also the tree of life in heaven. 
The river of life, same story. The temple, skipping down to letter F, uh, uh, last page here. Letter F, there is a man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. Jesus is going to build the temple of the Lord. There will be a temple during the millennial kingdom. Jesus is going to build it. And it's he who will build the temple of the Lord. And he will be clothed with majesty. And he will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne. That's Jesus rebuilding the temple on the earth. Revelation 15.8 says, And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. That verse is describing the temple in heaven before the millennium. Now, I just had a little bit of an insight this week as I was studying this. Just want to share it with you. The temple is going to be rebuilt on the millennial earth. There's no temple. Uh, it says John, when he's uh, in, in the vision, in Revelation chapter 21, he says, I did not see a temple in heaven. And John's perspective in Revelation chapter 21, when he says that, it's during the millennial kingdom. He says, if you will, during the thousand years, I was, I'm seeing into the future and I'm in heaven and I'm seeing around in heaven and I did not see a temple. The reason he didn't see a temple is because Jesus had built it on the earth. Jesus built the millennial temple on the earth. Now, that doesn't mean that when the new Jerusalem comes to rest on the earth, that that temple disappears. In fact, it won't disappear. It's an eternal purpose temple. Now that temple will actually be within the city of Jerusalem after the millennial kingdom. So during the millennium, John says, I didn't see a temple in the city. But after the millennial kingdom, when heaven comes to rest fully on the earth, the only temple that will be in heaven is the one that Jesus himself built during the thousand year reign uh, on the earth. So now we're going to break up into groups. Hey, as we're transitioning here, I just had a thought that um, I am excited about. Uh, thanks, Andy. Um, I just had this thought about Jesus during the Millennial Kingdom going to different places or having a, a highlight reel of the places that gave him the most amount of attention in the generation before he came back. And this place, this room specifically, being on a short list of places that gave Jesus the most amount of attention in the in the generation that he returned to. And really, I mean, probably ever, that, that would be a list as well. You know, places that gave him attention throughout history, uh, the most amount of attention. I just had that thought process, like, wow, we're going to get to be part of a pretty cool category of... Uh, ministry, place, people, community, uh, because of the countless hours of people in this room with a weak reach in their heart saying, Jesus, I love you. Let your presence fill this room. We adore you here. What do you want in our generation? I mean, just giving him attention. just, to just And just how pleased, I mean, like trophies for him. Uh, that while the veil was still in place, and most people didn't believe there was a God. Most people didn't believe that Jesus was really the real king of the planet. There was a room that was praising him 20 hours a day, seven days a week, year after year after year, and eventually it'll be 24-7, and that'll go on for 
there was a room that believed in him while while the world didn't I just know that he values that like in a way we just can't possibly understand so alright uh, so we'll do now a time of q and I'll repeat the questions so that those that are watching online or that listen to this later can hear it um, so Caitlin why don't we start with you guys wow what's, what are the rules for being able to approach Jesus on the throne uh the Millennial Secret Service is going to be so well-trained. Uh, I'm just saying, you are not even going to know. You're thinking they were the doorkeeper, and they are packing, man. They are packing. Um, there's going to be a tremendous uh, um, protocol, series of protocols, security protocols in place. You just think about the angels that are posted at the gates um, of the New Jerusalem. It says in Revelation 21 that they're posted there to make sure that nothing pure, impure ever enters the city, You know that no one impure ever comes in. And it's like, if that's the case for those gates, you just have to recognize that on the millennial earth with Jesus, not like you could kill him. It's not like an assassination attempt could work. But there could definitely be disruption in the millennial government if there was a coup or something happening. And that will not be allowed. So there will definitely be security protocols in place. There will definitely be real, you know, levels, level one, you know, um, access, level two, level three access. There'll be people that have got access. We, we just got to recognize that the business that will be operating around the throne is the governmental center of the universe. And so it's important that the activity that's going on there be allowed to continue the way that it's supposed to according to plan and there not be interruptions. So not just interruptions of uh, potential violence, which again, that wouldn't work. And even if it did, it wouldn't matter because we all got resurrected bodies. It's not just threat of violence. It's threat of distraction. It's talking about something that isn't on the agenda that day. It's... It's bringing ideas before the throne that weren't meant to be brought up. I mean, and the council of the elders and everything else. So there will absolutely be, maybe the, I'm using the term security protocols because that's a terminology we recognize. But maybe that's the wrong term because, again, it's not like somebody could go in and effectively do something bad. You know, I mean, there, there's elders and living creatures, resurrected Jesus and resurrected saints. So somebody comes in there with a gun, they get past security and shoot somebody. Everybody's like, it was just, it just you just made it loud in here. Like, you just loud. Like, go. We're going to deal with you in a minute. I mean, it's not, no, there's not, nobody dies. I mean, I guess if there was another resurrected saint, or not uh, another non-resurrected human is what I meant. Another not, so two Two non-resurrected humans walk into a throne room, uh, and, and and one of them one of them shoots the other. I guess that one could die, but nobody else who was part of the complex. So, I mean, it's a good question, but I, I just think there's going to be very clear like boundaries, protocols. Hey, what is your business here today? Do you have an appointment with with the king? Um, so people aren't going to just be able to willy nilly get in. Um, so great question. I think. I think that question causes our heads to reach a little and like go, whoa, this is going to be real. There are going to be real Tuesdays around the throne and people trying to do stuff and stay stuff and get stuff done. So great, great question. All right, Luke, speak to that. Yeah. All right. So uh, the, the, the question was 
more like a, hey, here are these things, and now talk about it a little bit more. Um, related to uh, in the next age, you've got Jesus returning in order to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, he won't be doing that by himself. He'll be you know, utilizing all of the, the worker bees and everybody else. But you got Jesus rebuilding Jerusalem because it's been destroyed and gross and blood. And I mean, it's like really a mess. And then you've also got the, uh, the new Jerusalem above, but a thousand years later, new Jerusalem is going to actually come rest on the earth. And in the middle of all this, Jesus is going to be ruling from Jerusalem. Uh, what does that look like? How does the timing on all that look? How does that kind of go? Well, I don't know, but I've got some thoughts. Um, one, if the, if the verses say, this is going to be the place of my footstool or the place of my feet, the place where my soles of my feet rest, and I'm going to rule there. Uh, I'm going to rule the nations. There is nothing that I can uh, de- define. There's no verse that I can point, uh, pinpoint that says that must happen fully day one of the millennium. So long as it happens fully, it's Bible prophecy fulfilled. So if it's day one or day 100 or day 1000, so long as it happens in the millennium and then happens for the, the majority of the millennium, then it's real and it's really happening. So I don't think that Jesus is going to genie blink after, you know, he, he returns and like set things up in just one like blink where Jerusalem is even going to be throneable. I don't think there's going to be a way to put the throne of God in Jerusalem on day one. I mean, there's just there's so much about that city that is not conducive for governmental rule or habitation or food system distribution. I mean, there's just so, the roads are all blocked with tanks that are burning. I mean, it's like there's just there's just there's no way that the the throne of God is going to be set up in Jerusalem uh, day one in its fullness. Now, maybe you get a bunch of the saints and it's like, okay, Jesus day one is like, okay, everybody, all, everybody pick up one piece of trash and throw it over there. And we're going to deal with it in a minute, you know? Uh, so then you can at least clear a little bit of space there on top of Mount Zion. Maybe that, I mean, but not the fullness. And uh, because also when you look at the, uh, the dimensions and the, the ways that things are going to be laid out in uh, Jerusalem, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 45, 46, 47, 48, when you look at those passages, there's good reason to believe there's going to need to be a lot of uh, dirt displacement because the the way that that city is laid out and then even the territory around it, uh, there's, there's reason. I'm going to say it not dogmatically. I'm going to say it gives me question if it's possible to lay that out the way that the topography looks now. Uh, there, there's question about what would need to move and then also we know that it says that Jerusalem is actually going to be raised up. So it's like maybe a giant plateau that's seven miles by seven miles is actually part of what's going to occur in the raising up. Maybe it's not just Mount Zion. Maybe it's now there's a new Mount Zion that's at least seven miles by seven miles. Here's my point. There's farming districts and stuff. There's things that are going to be uh, used within that seven mile uh, uh, radius of that city or the the seven mile parameter of that city um, that it couldn't be the sheer face of a cliff. It couldn't be a mountainside cliff. It, there's things that have to be operating there. And when you're talking about a, a tall mountain, if it's raised up, you now have the the uh, the difficulty of a tall mountain takes a mile or two from top to base. 
but that would then mean that the city of Jerusalem, so much of its functional purpose can't be in operation. So I don't want to go in anymore. I just, I gave it, for those of you who've been kind of thinking about this a little bit, I gave you enough nuggets to go chew on. Here's my point. I think that that seven miles by seven miles uh, is going to require some topography shifts that aren't how things look right now over in the geographic plains of you know the, the area surrounding Jerusalem. So, uh, so there's going to just need to be a lot of shifts and changes, and I think that the Lord is very much into process. You know, even the Great Tribulation, it's three and a half years long of like horrible things happening. Couldn't he get it all done in an afternoon if he wanted to? He could. He's into process. The millennial cleanup isn't going to happen with a genie blink. He's into process. The, the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the, the making Jerusalem the praise of the earth, that doesn't happen in an afternoon. It's process. He loves the human process. He loves the dynamics. Plus, there's so many other activities that are going to be occurring. We're gathering all the Jews from across the earth, uh, you know, getting other nations' capitals in functional capacity for there to be envoys in order for the nations to even have relationship to Jerusalem. Because, uh, like, what's the nation of, you know, whatever's nation? That nation doesn't have any way to connect to, make a phone call to. There's no infrastructure back to Jerusalem. There's a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done. And so I think that the, the single word answer is process. Uh, as far as what does it look like, let's, uh, let's more imagine it looking a lot like how things would look now. And I'm sure there'll be supernatural dynamics and it'll be cooler than that. But think about how long it would take to rebuild a city now, what would need to be done, how much, how long would it take to move that much dirt, and where would the dirt come from, and how big does the bulldozer need to be to move the dirt? I mean, think about those kinds of things uh, as far as the, the natural process in connection because Jesus is very much about the natural process during the millennium, which is going to wind up making it so relatable and awesome. And we're going to... I think our mouths will drop in some ways greater as we watch Jesus do the coolest stuff through natural means as we will entering into the city of heaven and seeing the supernatural means. I think the supernatural means are going to blow our mind. I think watching Jesus operate within natural parameters and the way he does it, we go, no way. That is incredible. I think we will be just in awe, just as in awe of some of his natural doings as we are the supernatural ones. All right, Andy, great question. Okay, so breaks down to, will there be animal sacrifice in heaven? Uh, but, but with the background being, Ezekiel speaks to the Levitical priesthood being in operation during the Millennial Kingdom. Um, I mean, I don't think so. Um, but I'd have to spend more time to tell you exactly why I don't think so. I mean, I could say I don't think so, but that's not real helpful. Um, so I've been very unhelpful. Um, I, I, yeah, I would want a little bit more time to look at exactly why that's the case uh, as far as not having the Levitical priesthood in operation in heaven. First thing I can think of is it never was. So there's no reason to institute it now there. It never was before. Um, and whereas the Davidic order of worship always was, uh, and David got his idea for the Davidic order of worship by looking at the throne and what was going on there. Uh, there's a lot more to be said about that, but um, but I think that uh, that the nations that really you know we talk about the we I the prayer movement talks about uh, acts 
1516, uh, David's tabernacle being restored. We talk about that. Mostly we talk about it in terms of before Jesus comes back. But in the most literal sense, it says, I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tabernacle. So in the most literal sense, the fullness of David's tabernacle being restored doesn't happen until Jesus is on the planet restoring David's tabernacle across the earth with all the Gentiles in its fullest extent uh, of, of prophecy being fulfilled. And so Jesus is going to be reestablishing the fallen tabernacle of David all across the earth uh, in, in profound ways. So I know that doesn't exactly answer the question. I would have to spend a little bit more time looking at the details of why, uh, but I, I would think that as a baseline, um, the tabernacle of David always had expression in heaven. The Levitical worship order didn't. It had its expression on the earth. So uh, worship team, you can come on up. These are great questions, guys. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that you can tell. You've been staring at this stuff. You've been looking at it, thinking about it. And so uh, this is uh, is good and healthy. Well, Lord, we just thank you for the word and the way that it's sharpening us. And Father, we pray that more than just learning Bible facts, I pray that you would help us to know how to be useful with the information we're learning. God, I pray that you would give us increased grace, increased understanding of how to apply these things in ways that would be increasingly helpful in this hour as we near your return in the time period of, of the second coming. God, we ask you, equip us, help us to be forerunners in this last generation. We pray in Jesus' name. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.